Blog Talk Radio. What we need is some sort of revolution. Pain and greed, there's gotta be retribution. Do we all just run and hide? Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Stain Sports Podcast. Where tonight we will try and uh, come 77 F-bomb shy of a Brian Price press conference. How's it going? I, I, I hope we I hope we can accomplish that. Uh, we haven't done the first seventeen podcasts. We've managed to keep it uh, pretty family friendly on this show, so uh, hopefully the trend continues. Well, we will tonight. We'll be talking NHL and NBA playoffs. Uh, yes, there's been a couple of uh, games and and quite a few of these series, but it, it's never too late to make predictions and preview kind of what we expect to happen uh, in the coming round. Let's start with the NBA because as we are recording, uh, the Anaheim and Winnipeg game has, is going into overtime. So we'll wait to talk about that series uh, until that is finalized. Let's start over on the NBA side. There's really just one game down in most of the series. It looks like just the uh, the Bulls. Bucks series is only one with two games in. The other one, Golden State New Orleans, is uh, currently in the third quarter as we're recording this. Pretty much to chalk thus far. Do you see a uh, a top seed, uh, one, two, or three seed, that could potentially lose their series, or do you expect to go to chalk here in this first round? Um, I think it's probably going to – well, in the East, I think it's going to go to Chuck. Um, I have some serious concerns about Atlanta. I think they're going to get past Brooklyn because Brooklyn, let's just face it, is not very strong. You know, they were just uh, good enough to sneak in with the eighth seed in the East. But uh, Atlanta is dealing with so many injury problems right now. Um, You know, Paul Millsap and Al Horford are are two huge pieces to that team. And Millsap's got that dodgy shoulder. Horford just dislocated a finger. He managed to finish the game. but the real, you know, Thabo Cephalosha being lost for the season is huge. He's an athletic defender. They count on him a lot to uh, spread the floor on the counterattack. He can defend just about anybody at any position short of center, maybe one-on-one. And, uh, you know, you, you, can't, you can rely on depth for only so long. Eventually you're going to have to have your top guys uh, kind of bring you home. And, you know, Kyle Korver and Jeff Teague are still uh, ready, willing, and able. But, you know, uh, it's – Injuries add up in a lot of ways. Uh, guys have to play more minutes that maybe aren't used to it. It's not like they're an experienced playoff team to begin with. They kind of really shot up to the top ranking this year. And uh, while I think they're going to get by Brooklyn, I think they're really, really going to struggle regardless of who they play the next round unless those injuries heal quickly. Yeah, when it comes to the East, I actually think that the next round will be just fine for the the Hawks. Um you know, with a beating either the Raptors or the Wizards, uh, I think they they should uh, match up pretty well against either one. But really, the, the two teams that I think are going to be battling for to come out of the East is going to be between the Bulls and the Cavaliers. Uh, it, it's, it's good to see the Celtics a, as a playoff team, uh, as a you know Boston sports fan. Uh, I was somewhat surprised to actually see the Celtics make the playoffs, much less make it as a seventh seed. The job Brad Stevens has done there has been nothing short of uh, fantastic, but they will likely get routed in every game and be swept by the Cavaliers. 
They are a team that really should have been in the lottery that snuck into the playoffs. But I, I really think that it's going to be whoever wins that Cavs-Bulls second-round matchup are going to be the one that ends up making it into the finals in the East. Now, in the West, you know, the AFC Pelicans might be just as good as, you know, to be, be – might be a good enough team to be a top, you know, four-seed team on the East. But they're facing the Warriors, who had one of the best regular seasons in some time, and uh, are probably the hands-down favorite to win the NBA Finals. But who is, the, is their biggest threat to you? Well, I think there's a lot of threats in the West. Um, probably, if I was going to pick one, I would say uh, Memphis. I, I think that they're going to steamroll Portland. Uh, Portland would have, Portland's got a great team if everybody's healthy, but they're not right now. LaMarcus Aldridge, who's their their big gun there, is really banged up. Um, if you look at the box score, he uh, he scored 32 points and grabbed something like 16 rebounds in the first game, but it took him 34 shots to make those 32 points. And if he's not dominating down low, that puts a lot of pressure on Damian Lillard. As we saw in the first game, he went 5 for 21 from the field. That's just not going to cut it. Memphis is tough. They're rugged. They're physical. They're athletic on defense. And if they uh, get through Portland, if they're, if there's going to be a Golden State-Memphis matchup, I think that the physicality that the Grizzlies bring on defense is going to cause problems for the Warriors. The Splash Brothers are really the main source of offense for Golden State. They kind of work the ball down low and get open on the perimeter. And, you know, nobody can really defend the three-pointer the three that, that Steph Curry and that Clay Thompson have if they're given any kind of space. I mean, heck, they pull up in traffic and hit them. They pull up from 28 feet away and hit them. But, you know, eventually that sword is going to come back and stab you. You're not going to shoot 45% from three-point land every single game. Uh, in fact, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen as often as it doesn't happen. So uh, I think that they're a huge threat. Um, if the Clippers get past San Antonio, they got off to a really good start. They could cause a problem there too, because I don't think that Golden State has an answer down low to Blake Griffin if he's playing well. Yeah, and to me, the, the matchup in the first round that is primed for an upset. I know that it was a ten-point win for the Rockets in Game One, but the, that battle in Texas again. We talked about it when we were talking about the NBA MVP. I just, it's really James Harden and not a whole lot uh, else there right now. What Harden has done has been nothing short of uh, of amazing. He, uh, I believe we both agree he deserves the MVP award. But with that veteran uh, savvy team with the Dallas Mavericks, I could see the Mavericks pushing that to game six, game seven, and maybe even sneaking away with that series. But even if they don't, I don't see the Rockets as a real NBA Finals uh, threat, uh, you know, threat for the uh, for the championship. There, uh, I do believe that the, the Clippers are putting something together pretty. They they can make a run. You can never count out the Spurs, although they're kind of like the San Francisco Giants. You know, it's every other year thing, so it's probably not their year this year. And you know, I, I do like what the Bla- I do like the Blazers, uh, and but the Grizzlies are a, a tough matchup for them. And I do know I, I, I agree with what you're saying about the Memphis and and Golden State. I, I just don't think that Memphis in the end is going to be able to uh, 
to hang it and put up the, the amount, enough points to knock off the Golden State Warriors, who, you know, when they're on, they can score with the best, you know, teams in NBA history just with those shooters that they have. I do think the Warriors-Pelicans is about as much fun a series as there has been in a long time in the first round. Warriors, obviously, a great bunch of great shooting. Steph Curry break, loves to break ankles. There's been plenty of highlights of that. And anytime to, you know you get to watch Anthony Davis down low and the way he can dominate a game defensively, uh, it, it's uh, a lost art and it's a lot of fun. I think that is the most enjoyable series to watch. But to me, the, a series that may be, and an upset would be the Mavericks. But much like the East, I, I only see a couple of teams that are real threats for an NBA Finals. And to me, it's the Warriors and the Clippers. Uh, do you think it's really a, a four-team race for the finals in the Clippers and Clippers Warriors, uh, Bulls, Cavs, or is do one of those other teams have a real shot to uh, make it to the NBA Finals? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I am a little higher on Houston than you are. Um, I think they're actually going to roll right through Dallas. Uh, I, I was really hoping. Uh, I really like Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, it's not just the German thing, me being German and everything like that, but I just, a seven-footer who can shoot the way he does, he's practically, it's it's an indefensible shot. You know, he kind of raises up and leans back, and he seems to make it practically every time. But, you know, the the Mavs have a really big Achilles heel, and it's it's been a long, long time since Rajon Rondo has been a good player in the NBA. Um, he still seems to put up a few points, and he's a threat for a triple-double. But if you look into the meta stats a little bit more, he was minus 25 on the court in 27 minutes in game one. That is an impossibly bad number to achieve. It, the game wasn't that much of a blowout. You know, It was like 12 or 13 points was the end margin. And, uh, it's. I mean, I could have gone out there and probably – in his place and not been a minus 25 in 27 minutes. And I'm probably the worst player this side of the Mississippi River, either side of the Mississippi River. Um, I, I don't think that there's any real threat to Golden State in the West other than Memphis. Um, and it's matchup related. I, you know, they may struggle to score, um, but down low with Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph, I think that, you know, they can cause problems. I don't think Golden State goes 67 and 15 unless they're the runaway favorites, and it, unless there's a serious injury there, I think that they're probably going to get through the West without too much of a problem. The Clips might have something to say about it, but you know, I I would like to see a little bit more depth. You know, they got they got a great season from JJ Redick. Matt Barnes is always a wild card. You know, he's got a way of firing up his teammates and firing up the fans, but. You know, I uh, they have they have some talent there. They could cause some problems. I don't see that. I don't. I you know, it, I'm trying to figure out a way that the Warriors can lose more than two games in a series here, and I just don't really see it happening. Um, I think that there's going to be more intrigue in the East. I think uh, Golden State's going to be waiting to see who they're who they end up who they end up playing in the finals. Who is your pick from the East? Because I agree. I, I think it's pretty clear to say that it is going to be the Warriors from the West. Um, who do you see them facing off against from the East? If you asked me four weeks ago, I would have said Atlanta. Um, I I actually watched a lot of their games, you know, not beginning to end, but, uh, you know, in the interest of being more informed for our podcasts, I've started watching a lot more basketball. 
and I was really entertained by the way they play. Everybody plays defense on that team. Everybody moves the ball. You know, everybody moves to the right spots. And, you know, Mike Budenholzer has done an incredible job in getting that team ready to play. But you just cannot overcome so many injuries. No team can really do that. It would be a miracle if they made it to the finals. And, you know, that by default, I think, makes Cleveland the favorite. You know, I mean, obviously they have LeBron James. Um, but, you know, with everybody else, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and there's a lot more depth on that team than they really get credit for. It's not just the big three. There's guys there that play roles. I think the whole LeBron James, David Blatt, you know, not seeing eye-to-eye thing is, is overplayed a little bit. I think that they do see eye-to-eye enough. I think that Coach Blatt realizes that LeBron is a court general and has basketball smarts. He's not just physically dominant. So uh, I think that with everything Atlanta's had to deal with on the injury front, Cleveland is now the favorite. You know, the Bulls are still there. D. Rose was balling in game one against Milwaukee. You know, uh, they have Pau Gasol, who, in my opinion, could have very easily gotten votes for the MVP for everything that he did for that team while D. Rose was injured. You know, Jimmy Butler's a wild card. He could go for 40 any night, or he could go for two on one for 16 shooting. You never know, but... You know, it's uh, it, there's going to be more intrigue in the East than the West. I'll just say that. Atlanta could get healthy and still do it. Um, and then there's Cleveland and Chicago, who are two very, very tough teams. If I had to pick now, though, it's Cleveland and Golden State in the final. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, the Cleveland Golden State. I, I believe that it's going to be the Golden State Warriors. I just love that offense too much. I think LeBron needs another year. I think the Cavaliers are set to make a, a long-term uh, run at being in the, in the uh, maybe a finals year after year. I think that expecting them to win this year was was a little bit uh, too much. With you know, given, given that they, especially in the year when they, they made a lot of moves trying to make the team fit, I think that getting to an NBA finals is a success for that team. But ultimately, I see them falling to the Warriors and it being a successful series, uh, season for the Cavaliers and the Cavaliers being the hands-down favorite for the next, you know, four or five years. But for this year, I, if I was putting money on it, I would say Golden State. How about yourself? I would say if the finals end up with either Cleveland or Chicago against Golden State, that Golden State takes it in six games. Yeah, I think that that that's about right. Uh, I don't think the Golden State will run away with it, but I do think it would be a close series. Now, before we shift over to the NHL, uh, this is a podcast, so nothing is truly breaking news, but as we're recording it, it is breaking news. The Chicago Cubs have called up a metal infielder, and no, his name is not Javier Baez. Addison Russell is the new, it looks like going to be second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Torsten, don't even try. I've already picked him up in every fantasy league while we've been talking. Addison Russell is now coming up to the two Chicago Cubs. I will actually be talking with the Cubs, the Iowa Cubs, the Cubs AAA affiliate, their broadcaster. I'll be interviewing him tomorrow for another podcast that I do on Wednesday. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of conversation about that there. Uh, what's your first reaction to hearing Addison Russell's going moving up to Chicago uh, for tomorrow? Well, um, I think that Addison Russell is a great talent. Um, I generally tend to stay away from most rookies when it comes to fantasy. Um, you know, if uh, if you're playing in a rotisserie league and stolen bases are uh, are a category, then 
you know, if you have a guy that has good speed, then you may want to consider that guy. But, uh, you know, rookies tend to struggle a little bit. Everybody went way too early on Xander Bogarts last year. They thought that he was going to be the next Hanley Ramirez, and he might very well be. But from a fantasy perspective last year, he did very little, and you could have done better with just about anybody at the shortstop position. I think that Addison Russell is going to prove to be a great player in Chicago, and I may try to target him next year. But uh, I have no pressing desire to run out and get him yet. That could come back to bite me in the rear end if he you know, puts up 25 home runs this season. I just don't see it happening yet for him, though. The major leagues is a big adjustment period. Yeah, he's not the guy that's going to be big power, but his, um, his he, what he really brings is an all-around approach at the plate. He was a 300 hitter coming into this year in the minor league career, uh, near 400 uh, on-base guy and a 500 slug. And if he turns that into a, a kind of a 280, 380, 480 type of guy at the middle infield, that is an absolute elite guy. It's not going to be immediate. He is... Give him a little bit more credit, I think, defensively than he deserves credit for. But I do believe he is going to be a above-average shortstop defensively in, in the Major League Baseball. Uh, but he's not an, an elite defender. He, he's no Lindor or anything like that. But he is a very talented kid. Um, the Cubs getting him for Justin Marja was an absolute steal, especially when you kind of look at what – Samarja ended up netting the A's in return this past offseason. But uh, certainly big news coming out of Chicago with Bryant with the Cubs, going up to the Cubs early last weekend. Then Carlos Rodon is going to be with the White Sox. And now Addison Russell moving up with the Cubs. Uh, but that's it's worth mentioning. Uh, I was going to say it's worth mentioning that Carlos Rodon is expected to spend uh, at least the beginning part of his major league career in the White Sox bullpen, limiting his fantasy upside. Yes, uh, he's not a fantasy guy right now. If, but however, if you do want him to be a fantasy guy later on in the year, where he will be an impact per, uh, player, and you're going to have to pick him up right now. Robin Ventura has come out and said he likes guys to have at least three quality pitches that they can count on. People can look at the pitch effects and all of that and say, well, Carlos Rodon does have three, a fastball slider cutter to go with a changeup that needs a lot of work. I've spoken with Carlos Rodon this spring. We talked about the slider and cutter. It is the same pitch, uh, same grip, same arm action, same everything. It's just a matter of when it's sitting at that 87 to 89, it has massive depth and break. When it's 91 to 94, it is a little bit sharper with less of a break and more of the velocity. It is the same pitch just coming out at a different speed and with a different uh, depth to it. Uh, so for the most, so he really considers it the same pitch. It's just whether he needs a strikeout or if he wants to saw off a break a bat. So really it's the same pitch that Robin Mitter wants three pitches through that changeup needs to improve. He's going to be dominant out of the bullpen. He's going to be coming in there at 97 where he can sit coming out of the bullpen where out of the rotation he, he sits closer to 94. But uh, he's going to be very, very good. He's going to be, I believe, an elite pitcher uh, in a not-too-distant future. But right now, really, he is a two-pitch guy, and Robin Ventura wants to see that third pitch show consistency before he puts him in the rotation. Now let's move over to the NHL. 
where the Ducks and the Winnipeg Jets are still in overtime as we record this. It is great to see hockey back in Winnipeg. The fans there, it was the toughest ticket in the this postseason was Winnipeg. And they are treating the fans to a great 4-4 matchup now, trying to cut that, prevent that series from going 3 nothing. Is there – the Rangers nearly lost to the Penguins, who have barely snuck into the playoffs here earlier today and ended up winning 4-2. to Is there a, a high seed that you could see getting knocked off? We tend to see more of those – Top seeds get knocked off in the NHL than really any other any other uh, league. Who do you, is there a team that's uh, in, in danger there? Well, in the East, I think it's the Caps. Um, I think that they uh, it's it's a rough draw playing against the Islanders. Um, the Islanders were the top team in the East for much of the year before the Rangers just won on a stampede the last couple of months and ended up getting the most points uh, out of anybody. Um, you know, uh, Washington's already down uh, two games to one now to the Islanders. They uh, are missing Eric Fair now with, in, with out, to, out with an injury. Um, they call it an upper body injury. Um, that's the guy that scored 19 goals for them in the regular season. He's not really a, known as a prolific scorer, but 19 goals is nothing to sneeze at. And Washington doesn't have huge depth. So uh, if there's going to be uh, a top seed, and they're a two seed, um, that's going to struggle, I think it's going to be them. I think the Islanders are going to take that series 4-2. to two, And uh, that's basically going to be the end of the Cavs' playoff run, which would be a shame. They're an entertaining team to watch. But, you know, uh, it, in the East, that's my team that's going to struggle. In the West, I think it's obvious. St. Louis it has everything they can handle with Minnesota. Um Minnesota's a four seed there against St. Louis, the top seed, but that's kind of misleading because Minnesota was the best team in the West for the last several months of the season. They came out of the gate sluggish. They uh, couldn't really seem to get on the same page on offense. The defense was always kind of there, but they couldn't put anything together. And then uh, they threw Devin Dubnik in goal, who's basically been a journeyman. He was mediocre at best with Edmonton. For the beginning part of his career, he bounced around a little bit, minor leagues. I think he spent some time in Phoenix, too, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, he started something like 38 out of the last 39 games and has been basically a brick wall in goal. And conversely, St. Louis does not have a solid goaltending situation. You know, they've got the Brian Elliott, Jake Allen thing going on there, and nobody really knows who's going to start from one day to the next. Um it's uh, it, it's a tough road to hoe right now for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you and I both have a friend who's a big St. Louis Blues fan. We play a lot of fantasy baseball and fantasy football with him, Don Shawley. He's a diehard Blues fan, and I was really hoping uh, once the Kings got eliminated from the playoffs that St. Louis would make a run and make my friend happy and give him something to cheer for. But uh, they're, uh, they're really up against it uh, with Minnesota right now, and I think the entire Western Conference is really up against it with Minnesota. That is a team on a roll. And they are strong. Yeah, no question. And, and when it comes to the NHL playoffs, it maybe the the sport and the playoffs that could be taken over by a single player, and that is by a a hot goalie. And Dubnik would take him over from the, the Arizona Coyotes here early in the trade this season. If he keeps playing the way he has, he could 
the Wild could ride him all the way to a Stanley Cup finals appearance. It's not a Stanley Cup victory. Not unlike the way the King, your Kings did a few years back when Quick was just absolutely unbeatable in the playoffs and he, and the Kings really rode him there. There's obviously some other talent there. But when a, a goalie gets really hot like he is, Dubnik is right now, you, you know, it's, a, it's a tough team to uh, beat. Another tough team to beat is a team that just put the puck in the back of the net to go up 3 nothing. The NM Ducks, who were battling for the most points here in the uh, regular season, I don't remember exactly how it ended up, they are now up 3 nothing. If there's a team that beats the Wild, I, I would think, I think that would be a fantastic matchup to watch the Ducks Wild at some point here in the playoffs. And I think the winner of that uh, could very, should very well be the favorite for the Stanley Cup finals. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the Ducks, uh, they, they were very good at the beginning of the season and then through the middle of the season, and they've just gotten better. And what people don't realize is when they were, you know, coming out of the gates playing very well, they were doing it without Corey Perry, who's, you know, kind of every season he's a threat to score 50 goals. And he's not just a hired gun. He's not just that Alex Ovechkin guy that comes in and scores a boatload of goals and sort of coasts on defense. He's an excellent penalty killer. He, You know, he plays physical in the corners, which is probably why he's, you know, why he's dealing with some injuries. But he's he's one of the best players in the NHL. Um, I'm not as confident in the Ducks goaltending uh, right now. Uh, like you said, uh, a, a goalie can get hot and the team can get on his back and go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Things did it with Quick three years ago. Last year when they did it, it was a little bit more of a collective team thing. They actually, you could argue that they picked Quick up a little bit when he wasn't playing that great. Um, another story that's sort of developing is in the Chicago-Nashville series right now. Uh, Scott Darling has taken over in, uh, between the pipes for Corey Crawford. Darling's a rookie, and he does not seem to be faced by pressure at all. He came in in uh, game one, stopped something like 35 shots after Corey Crawford gave up three goals on 14 shots, ended up winning that game in overtime. Um, You know, it doesn't take much for a goalie to get on a hot streak like that. It takes a bit of confidence, and nothing gives you confidence like stopping 35 shots and allowing zero goals in a playoff game. So uh, there's definitely some intrigue building there uh, in the goaltending situation in that series. And uh, that also includes Pecorine, who has not looked that good. Nashville is a pretty solid team, top to bottom. Shea Weber's injured right now, which is uh, obviously a huge problem. He's one of the best defensemen in the NHL. But, uh, you know, uh, Chicago's another team that could ride a hot goalie very, very deep into the playoffs. Most definitely. Now, the Canadian Senator series, got kind of ugly with the P.K. Subban early in the uh, series, and then the Senators coach kind of going off, and he's actually painting his team, packing his team back in the corner where uh, there was a kind of a no-win situation after he he said that they were going to uh, go after Subban if he wasn't suspended. They're now down three to nothing. How do you – where do the uh, – how do you, I know you you had your opinions on Subban earlier in the year. How, do you just dislike him even more now with the things that he's done here in the in the playoffs? Uh, he, I know he's a hard nosed guy, but certainly becoming a cheap shot artist. What's your take on Subban? Um, I think that uh, Subban definitely has earned his reputation of being a cheap shot artist. He's a wonderful hockey player. He's talented. He plays both ends of the ice. He's physical. 
And when he's, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without, uh, when remain family friendly, but when, you know, when he's, when he's an a-hole out on the ice and taking shots at guys, you know, slashing and boarding and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, he should have been suspended for that play. Um, but the league decided against it. Um, I don't like it when a coach says or a, or a captain says or a player says that they're going to go after somebody. But, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be surprising. I don't know if you remember, uh, it was two years ago in the playoffs, but uh, the, uh, the in the Rangers-Senators series, Brian Boyle, basically his entire job for the series was to get in Eric Carlson's face. Eric Carlson, for those of you that don't know, is the supremely talented defenseman on the Senators. He's uh, basically a Norris Trophy finalist every year. He scores 25 goals from defense. He's insanely talented, and the team depends on him for a lot. And so the Rangers dispatched Brian Boyle, who's six feet seven and 250 pounds, to basically hound him, you know, hack his hands and face wash him and all that stuff. And uh, there was one say, one series of play there where uh, where Boyle went after him and just kind of like rabbit punched him in the face seven or eight times. And in the following game, Chris Neal, a big bruising forward for the Senators, basically went over to Boyle, grabbed him, threw him to the ice, and started punching him in the face repeatedly and get, until he got pulled off of him. Now, he ended up getting two minutes for instigating five for fighting in the game misconduct and put his team in a bad spot. But, you know, I think if Ottawa gets into a situation where they know that they're pretty much done and being down three games to none, they're essentially done they might go after Subban, and you know, while I don't want to see it, it'd be hard to argue against that. If I was, uh, if I was, you know, the the Senators' coach, I wouldn't advocate that my players go after a guy, but you know, I wouldn't be too upset if they went after Subban either. I really don't know. I'm not an advocate of unfair play. I don't like cheap shots, but you know, if the league is not going to come down on Subban for being a jerk and you know being dirty and putting guys at risk and injuring them then, you know, the game does have to police itself like it has done for so many years. I would like to see it done, you know, mano a mano, drop the gloves and square up. I don't want to see anybody take a swing at his head with a stick. I don't want to see anybody put him into the boards from behind and risk him suffering a serious neck injury. But maybe the guy just needs an ass beating, and, uh, you know, that'll give Ottawa some consolation in the series. All right, quickly, we're already over time. I've got the Ducks over the Canadians in the finals. Who do you got? Um, I, uh, believe it or not, have Minnesota over Tampa Bay in the finals. All right, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Follow us on Twitter. Go check out thestainsports.com or Torsten's latest mock draft. And thank you again for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night.